on Steve Jobs and part of the underpinnings of it is his great love for for music which is why he invented the iPod and uh, did so much work behind it because he loves music and like so many um, he's a big fan of Bob Dylan now no offense but I don't get it um, I've tried Bob Dylan figuring that out many times because People keep coming back to him as, you know, some kind of sage. Um, well, uh, there's a lot to be uh, wanted after listening. And it's, I mean, like sometimes it's the, the instruments, sometimes it's just the tone, and sometimes it's the words. I don't get any of it. So it makes me think of that because, you know, music's so powerful. Music is used in commercials. And in fact, that was one of the big uh, uh, successes of, of Apple was their use of music in commercials. And it reminds me of how powerful music is in our spiritual life, because as we sing, not only are we worshiping God and giving him exaltation, but, but we're also memorizing scripture. We're also embedding these concepts. So somewhere down the, uh, the road this week, as you're battling life and you're just are, are reminded, it, it, you know, it's, it's not me, it's Christ in me. It, it's not all about me. In fact, it's not about me at all. It's Christ in me. And, and so when we look at Matthew and we, especially we look in, in the opening chapter, it's just interesting to see how God is at work in people and they wouldn't even know how, how he's at work in them generations before uh, but God is is at work and so we're starting our series thankfully back into a um, you know a book back into more expository preaching uh, verse by verse chapter by chapter and, and, and what we want to do is we, we want to piggyback off what we've been just studying our our truth matters truth matters so that's why we want to get to God's truth get to his word uh, we also, you know, we want to know the way, right? We talked about that last week. Well, the best way to know the way is to read God's word, to follow Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's our life. And so we want to um, know the real Jesus, not books about Jesus, not stories about. We, we want the book about Jesus, the real Jesus then is the real Christianity. I was listening to a, an atheist and in his just naive ways, he's like, you know, it's weird that all these different religions, they, they all like talk about Jesus. Um, well, there's a reason for that because when you're trying to anchor something that's false, what you, what you do is you, you hold up something that's true. That, that way people get distracted and deceived. And so a, a great plot and plan of, of Satan and false religions is, well, if we have a, a piece of the truth, Jesus, then maybe people will buy in. Um, so we want to know the way. And, and what better way to, to know the way than to, to read one of the, the, the books in the Bible, one of the, the books that was co-authored, and I'll explain that, by an eyewitness. Now, do you guys really understand how important that is? 
hey, you know, here we are in 2023 and there's fake news all over the place. And, you know, we don't really believe in, you know, anything anymore. Right. And so you'll, you'll hear people, this is just a book. It's just a book of fables. It's just a book, you know, written a long time ago. Well, if it is just a book like Shakespeare, um, then, then, then we would have all be most pitied, right? So, so it's either just a book written by men or it's, it's the book. It's the book written by the word of God. And so part of what we see here is like, here's a great example of, of truth written by a firsthand eyewitness. Uh, you could ask the question, uh, Ken Ham says this all the time when he's talking about creation. Were you there? You know, it's like, well, two billion years ago. Really? Two billion? Not one and a half billion? Um, and by the way, were you there? Um, no, you weren't there. It's a great question. Were you there? Well, Matthew could say, yeah, I was there. I was there. Uh, the, this book is written from a, a certain perspective. Just like any book, and any author would have a, a certain perspective. So, you know, for instance, if I were writing a, a, a book about my awesome wife, right? I could write that book about my amazing wife. And it would have a perspective talking about her as a wife. But then maybe one of my children, they want to, you know, write a book about, about mom, and that would have a different perspective about mom. And then maybe her mom wanted to write a book about her daughter and little Susie and the pigtails and the braces, right? And, and that would look differently. Or maybe, you know, from her teaching and one of her students would write a book. Well, they're all true. All these, all, all these perspectives are true, but there's going to be emphasis. Well, the emphasis of the book of Matthew is to emphasize who Jesus is in his office of king, of king. And so that's why we have four gospels. We have Matthew is writing about how, how Jesus is the king. And then Mark, we see that, that Mark sees Jesus as, as the suffering servant. And then Luke sees Jesus, and he's going to talk about Jesus being the perfect man. And then finally, John writes about Jesus proving and showing over and over and over again that Jesus is the son of the living God. That's where we see like it, him covering I am, right? Because he's pointing out that Jesus is the God man. He is the word that becomes flesh. So there, there's different perspectives that these, these books come with. Matthew, and I say co-authorship because remember, in, in God's amazing, and this really is a miraculous document. In his, his amazing doc, uh, document, what we see is God, through the Holy Spirit, speaking through men to write this book. So... The question is, well, is it written by God or is it written by man? Um, well, who, who penned it? Who had the ink? Well, the ink was, was a man. A man sat down with the ink. A man sat down with the scrolls. A man sat down and wrote it. But, but the, the IP, right, the intellectual property belongs to God. Uh, that's one of the cool things about this, this book that I'm reading about jobs. It's like, 
oh, well, I didn't realize that he's like not a great engineer. He's not a great computer science guy. He's not the IP. There's other guys that are actually sitting there coding and, and, and really creating, but, but, but he, he could bring it together. Well, God is the, the IP. In 2 Samuel 23, we, we, we get a, an, an insight into that. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. And so what we see here is like the, 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 the word is from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so even though it's on my tongue, the word is on my tongue, it's the word of God. It's God's Holy Spirit um, that is that is writing this word. We we see another example in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel twenty three, Ezekiel chapter three. Um, let me get there real quick. Oops, I'm in the wrong. So Ezekiel chapter three, verse twenty four through twenty seven says it a different way. Now, again, we're pointing this out because the flow of Scripture didn't just like one verse. It's like the flow of Scripture from Samuel through Ezekiel, and then we'll go into the New Testament. But Ezekiel 3 says it like this. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. And so this is Isaiah now who, who is going to go and, and, and to the house of Israel to give the message. What message? Whose message? It's, it's God's message. It's God's message that, that he's speaking. He's speaking his words. So not the words of, of man. This is why some of you may or, or may not notice, but I, I don't usually say, and, and Paul said, or Matthew said, and and the reason why I don't do that is because it becomes pretty confusing because it's like, well, did, did, did Paul write this? And, and I don't want to give the impression that Paul's the author or, or that Matthew's the author, even though he's, he's penning it. And even though we see their characteristics in some of the writing, but, but make no mistake. Scripture clearly says this is from the Holy Spirit. It's, it's from God. And for a second Peter 1.21 says, no prophecy, no prophecy is brought forth by the will of man, but by the Holy Spirit. So let's be clear this, the, the book of Matthew, even though it's, we see the perspective of not only from Matthew, but God, it is the word of God. And so we have some rules of interpretation, some rules of interpretations. We're trying to understand these books. And, and, and I'm just so excited to go through Matthew. It, it's such an awesome and amazing uh, foundational book for us. But one of the rules of interpretation is, look, we, we start with the literal, the literal. We don't start with allegorical. Okay, there is allegory in the scriptures, and, and, and it's usually pretty clear. It'll say things like, like, right? Just, just like we learned in grammar. Um, and so we start with, okay, this is literal, this isn't figurative. It isn't a symbol. It isn't a typology. It's literal. Uh, it's historical. These are real people, real people. And then that matters to us because if we're going to hang our life, our life today, our life tomorrow, our life forevermore on the word of God, on this book, um, and it's saying that, hey, these are real people, then they better be real people. 
And so when we, we can look back in history and documents and improve it, and we'll talk about that later. There's also grammatical context that, that we need to take note of and understand that, that this is in print. And so there's writing and, and there's, there's grammar rules and things for us to understand. And then finally, there's the context. There is context not of today, not today's context, the context that they were in. So, you know, when I grew up and you know, I was walking around saying, man, that dude's bad. What was I saying? He was evil? No. Was I saying he couldn't hit a baseball? No. What I was saying was like Michael Jackson, you know, that guy's awesome. He's amazing. He's the best, which is funny because it's bad. It's like, how did we get to that? But it's completely opposite. So if I were to take today's context and say bad means good, right? Well, I don't go from today and go backwards. I start with the context. And that's really important. This is how we get a lot of bad interpretation in the scripture because people want to take today's ideas and then infuse them in the past. So today we're going to look at the genealogy, the genealogy of the Christ. The genealogy of the Christ, which reveals who Jesus is. Jesus being three things, the son of Abraham, the son of David, and the son of Joseph, and the son of Joseph. So the first part we see in the genealogy of Christ revealing Jesus is the son of Abraham. Verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, to Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah, and his brothers. And to Judah were born Perez, and Zerah, and by Tamar. And to Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron Ram. And to Ram was uh, Aminadab, and to Aminadab was Nashon, and to Nashon was Salmon. And to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab, and to Boaz was born Obed by Ruth, and to Obed Jesse. Now, let's be honest. Usually what we do is we start at verse one. Now the book of genealogy of Jesus. Whoa. Okay. Let's pass all these weird looking names. Okay. Let's pick it back up in verse 18, right? Because you know, I don't know how to pronounce them. But here's the cool thing. What's embedded in these names is such a rich history of scripture and truth and, th- and a thread and so when we're looking at a genealogy, what we're looking at is, so it's this book, the, the book of the, the genealogy, the origin, the source, the, the lineage, the, the root of Jesus Christ. Well, now, isn't that interesting? I want to know who Jesus is. I want to know what he's about. I want to know his lineage. I want to know his roots. I want to know from the beginning. Well, then here it is. This is the book for you, right? That's what the advertisement would say. And so the beginning of Jesus begins with talking about the genealogy. Um, It starts with the son of David and, and then immediately goes to the son of Abraham. Jesus is the son of Abraham. Now, we'll also make note, Jesus Christ is not Jesus's name. It's his name and his title. He's really Jesus the Christ. 
And so Jesus, the name Jesus means uh, Jehovah is salvation. What a name. What a name. And remember the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and says, you're going to name your child Jehovah. God is salvation. Well, that's talk about a lot to uh, put on a kid. Um, and, and, and the idea then is, is behind the Christ is he's in, in the Hebrew, the deliverer. He's the rescuer. So his name is Jehovah is the deliverer to rescue us to salvation. What a name. What a title. What a purpose. Luke 19 says then Jesus came. Why? To fulfill his name. To seek and save the lost from sin. See, we're, we're not in a river, you know, going down the river. We need saving from drowning. We're, we're not in a mountain and we're going to freeze to death. We're in sin. And we need desperately to be saved and atoned for our sin because we sin. As hard as and badly as we fight sin, we're sinners. And so Jehovah salvation comes to rescue and deliver us. That's who Jesus is. That's, that's amazing. And so we start with Abraham. Well, who's Abraham? So we go back to Genesis 12. Who is, who is Abraham? Well, actually, we'll read Genesis 17. It's a, a repeat. So Genesis 17 uh, gives us an overview of, of Abraham and really what Abraham's purpose is. Verse 1. Now, when Abram was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. So right away, this guy's special. Uh, God is speaking to Abram, and he's going to change his name to Abraham. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. Now remember, at this time when God speaks to Abram, Abram is, is uh, 99 years old. Now we've had some new babies in the room, and mamas were not 99 years old, um, meaning they were not old. And so Abram is told at this point that you're going to have so many children that it's, you can't even count them. But he's 99 years old. Now we can flip back to Matthew 1 and see promise fulfilled. That, that's not a little thing. That, that, that's a fulfillment of God's promise made thousands of years beforehand. Verse 4, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Abram meant exalted father, and Abraham means father of nations. For I will make you a father of multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations, an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings and the, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their possession. You guys see a theme here? Nothing to do with Abraham. Abraham's, Abraham's not a bad dude. He's just some guy. 
And God's saying, I will make you a father of nations. I will put you above Canaanites. Now remember, at this time, the Canaanites are the big bad boy on the street. Abram doesn't even have a family. He's just like a band of, of merry men with Lot by his side. And God's saying, you're going to conquer the Canaanites? That, that's, that's a... It's a tall order. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. So when we go to Matthew 1 and we start talking about generations, that, that's our context. That's our link. That, that's God's promise being fulfilled. Don't just rip by it like it's nothing. That's essential. This is the, the opening words to the New Testament, to the new covenant between God and, and, and man. Not just Israel, us. And he's establishing this foundational truth and this thread of promise. God keeps his promises throughout the generations. Name after name, generation after generation. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Um, and so we see Abrahamic covenant. We see then that this idea is carried out throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis 26, we see now Isaac because the term throughout the Old Testament becomes that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who's your God? Um, the God of those guys, the God of that family, the God of those people. He, he doesn't have a name. It's kind of like last week when we we're talking about the way. It's the, the God who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob worship. And so Genesis 26, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, do not Go down to Egypt, stay in the land which I shall tell you, sojourn in this land. I will be with you and bless you to you and to your descendants. I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father. And I will multiply your descendants as, as the stars of the heaven will give you descendants. All these lands by your descendants, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Abraham was faithful. By faith, he left Ur. Hebrews 1 reveals. He was faithful. In his faith, he obeyed. And we see God renewing the Abrahamic covenant with his son, Isaac. And again, we see God in complete control. I will, I will, I will. God is already starting. God has already blessed Abram with, with a, a, a miracle baby. And now we see that child. We see it in Isaac. And now we go to Jacob and Jacob in <clears throat> Genesis 28. Verse 10, then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. That should be a commercial, right? For like, you know, my pillow and how far we've advanced. Because um, that doesn't seem comfortable. Verse 12, and he had a dream and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, 
I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall the families of earth be blessed. What a promise. What a promise. When Abraham goes to Egypt, there's 70 people in, in his family in, if you want to call them the Hebrews, the Israelites, there's 70. When they come out of Egypt, there's about 2 million. And so the, the, the promise of God sustaining and keeping and multiplying and increasing this, this family is, is unbelievable. Well, back to Matthew 1. So, so Jesus is the son of Abraham. Well, that's cool and that's a big deal. But here's what's also interesting in this, this little genealogy that most of us, because we don't even read it, would rip right by it. And because the names aren't exactly like, you know, Sally, Marsha, and Jan, right? But we see names like Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. And one's not even named. What we see here also in, in the beginning of Matthew 1 is we see these outcast mothers, these, these women, now, again, we, we, we have to understand the, the time and the age here. In the time and the age back in the first century, we don't talk about women. We don't mention women. They're not written about. So, so part of the attack on Christianity is that, you know, the patriarchy and, and, and oppressing women. No. In fact, the, the, the Bible is, is, is way ahead of its time that the Bible even mentions that, that, that women went to, to uh, the grave of Christ. As eyewitnesses is unheard of. Women weren't allowed to be witnesses. And so what we see here now is, is they're included in the genealogy of Jehovah, the rescuer. They're important. They're important pieces. And in fact, it's like, wait a minute. This isn't the first time we've heard of these ladies, is it? So from the very beginning, the Bible has not been shy about including the heroics of women. Not at all. That's, that's a, a cool and a beautiful thing. Well, the first woman we see in verse 3 is Tamar. Who's Tamar? Well, she's amazing. She's a Canaanite daughter. A Canaanite. She's not so amazing. And she disguised herself as a prostitute to trick Judah. Now, I don't know about you. But if I were, you know, writing the family's, you know, history, I might want to leave a couple of the, those ideas out. Maybe just, you know, Grandma Tamar, right? Just leave it at that. But no, see, the Bible isn't afraid to be honest. That, that's part of our understanding of truth. You can tell when people are lying, they, they, they keep out certain things, right? The sin of omission, the logical fallacy of omission. The Bible doesn't keep it out. The Bible has her right here, front and present. We see Rahab. Oh yeah, another Gentile. Another Gentile, another woman. And unlike Tamar, who just kind of disguised herself as a trick for her one-time prostitution, Rahab was a professional prostitute. What did she do? Well, she just lied to save the Jewish spies in Jericho. Why? Because she didn't 
fully know. She didn't fully comprehend. All she knew was, you know what? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I choose that God. I'm choosing them. And that's just pure faith. And she puts her money where her mouth is and she saves their lives by lying. Well, the third woman we see here then is, is Rahab. And who's Rahab? Well, Rahab's a, a, a widow. We have a whole book written in, in Ruth and we see this beautiful story of, of this one and how basically she's, she's, you know, just out on her own. She's from the, the pagan, you know, Moabites. And it's not until she's, she's taken by, by Boaz that she finds that kinsman redeemer, right? That, that covering, that protection. But she's included in this line. So she's not like, again, some queen or, you know, some wealthy person or somebody who's, who's you know, of, of great significance, just a normal person. And then we see her. I like her. And, and, and by the way, she's like so big that you can say her. Uh, verse six, and to David was born Solomon by her. And that her is Bathsheba. Now, it's funny. It's not funny. It's ironic that, you know, we're, we, we always uh, attack David for his adultery. And he should be attacked and he should be addressed. We don't really say much about Bathsheba and her adultery. Now, we don't, again, fully understand the complete significance there. Um, whether it was, you know, coercion or force or, you know, mutual, you know, act. But... Bathsheba's involved. And, and so we, we see her in, in this, this, this line too. So we begin in the genealogy of, of Jesus. We begin with honesty. We begin with understanding who some of the players are, some of the, the key people. They also include women. They also include Gentiles. They also include people who worship other gods. But Jesus is the son of Abraham the son of Abraham, which means that he's, he's in line. Um, he's in line. And Matthew now is continuing the story of redemption, continuing the story of the Abrahamic covenant. Because up until here, what we have is, is here are the Israelites, they get deported. And now there's like silence. And now Matthew opens up and goes, okay, remember that promise? Remember that covenant? His son is here. The Abrahamic covenant is intact. And Jesus is the son. Well, the second piece we see then is the genealogy of Christ reveals Jesus is the son of David. Verse 6, and Jesse was born David, the king, just to be clear the king. Now, again, if you were writing your genealogy and you were putting names on the, on the board and kind of raveling you and you had like a king in there or a prince and you're like, yeah, we're going to make note of that, that guy. So you don't usually put John the plumber. I mean, plumbing's good, but it's like, eh, he's a plumber, you know, but the king and Jesse was born David, the king and David was born Solomon by her who he had been the wife of Uriah and to Solomon was born Rehoboam and to Rehoboam Abijah and to Abijah Asa and to Asa was born Jehoshaphat and to Jehoshaphat Joram and to Joram Uzziah 
And to Uzziah was born Jotham, and to Jotham Ahaz, and to Ahaz Hezekiah, and to Hezekiah was born Manasseh, and to Manasseh Amon, and to Amon Josiah, and to Josiah were born Jeconi and his, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So what we see here is a quick little history of what? Of the first kings of Israel. It's like, these are kings. If you... You know, read, uh, you know, um, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, Chronicles, you would be familiar with these names. You, maybe you don't know all the details, but it's like, wait a minute, I know these guys. I've, I've heard of these guys. These are actual kings. So, so this is a, a, is a list of the different kings that are where? In Jesus's genealogy. This is his, his family tree, and it's not just David, one king. It's like, wow, look at these guys. They're, they're all over the place. Um, this is a, a, a royal line. This is a royal line. So first we see the Abrahamic covenant and, and Jesus is the son of Abraham. But then we also see that he's the son of a king. He's the son of a king. And so we see again, once again, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We see good kings listed in here, and we see bad kings listed in here. And you, I, I, if you read, you know, First and Second Kings, they'll say, "And he was a good king, and he was a bad king." It makes it really nice. We don't have to guess because some of them are hard, actually, because they do some like really crazy things. Um, and we see again that God judges the heart. Well, the other neat thing here is, look, we have these technology, you know, Ancestry.com, right? It's like a really big deal now. It's like, but here it is. Here's the genealogy of the kingship of the royal line of Jesus. And, and it's better than Ancestry.com. You guys have to understand something. At any point, if one name is wrong, they're caught. Gotcha. That guy never even existed. That guy wasn't a king. I know that guy. He, 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 you know, he's the town drunk. No, this is the royal lineage that, guess what? They know. They know who the kings are. We may not know. But they know, just like in, in, in Great Britain. We don't know like, how it all works and who's next in line. They do. They know that if this guy dies and that guy dies and this kid and then that baby, when that baby's born, they know who that baby could be. Just like Jesus when he was a baby. And so we see that Jesus is the son of David. In Matthew 21, 19, when he comes in, that they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David. That's a direct connection and link to his kingship. Um. In Luke 132, we see the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. Okay, so Jesus is not only in the genealogy of Abraham, but also the genealogy as the son of David, which means he's the king. He's in line for kingship. And we see that God has been in control this whole time, all the way here, in Genesis of Abraham and through all Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all in, in, in Ruth and Tamar and Bathsheba and now the kings. See how that works? How the flow of history is coming through and, and now what's being clearly revealed 
in, in this genealogy in Matthew 1 is this is who we're talking about. This is what this book is about. And here's the proof. Here's the proof. Here are the names. And so they went in as kings to Babylon for their exile and deportation. And then finally what we see, and, and, and God was in control and in charge the whole time. And now what we see is the genealogy of Christ revealed and Jesus is the son of Joseph. Huh? Wait a minute. So we, so we got like Abraham, we got the heavy hitters, right? Abraham, the father of Israel, father Abraham. They sing songs about him. We got David, the king, King David. They build temple, you know, they... Uh, did Solomon build temples? All these guys like big guns. And then we got Joseph. So who's this guy? Verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, to Jeconiah was born Sheltiel, and to Sheltiel Zerubbabel, and to Zerubbabel was born Abihud, and to Abihud Eliakim, and to Eliakim Azor, and to Azor was born Zadok, and to Zadok Achim, and to Achim Eliud, and to Eliud was born Eliezer. See how the names are less familiar? It's that time of deportation. It's that time where they're kind of lost. They're unfamiliar to us. They're not unfamiliar to them. They're right here. And to Eliezer was born Eliezer, and to Eliezer, Mathon, and to Mathon, Jacob, and to Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Therefore, all generations from Abraham to David are 14. Fact check it. And from David to deportation, 14, fact check it. And from deportation to Babylon to the time of Christ, fact check it. All of this is, is literally like putting your whole reputation at risk. If any one of these names are wrong, out of order, then the skeptic goes, you said that this is God's word, the perfect word of God, and this is wrong. But if it is right, how miraculously amazing is it that, that, that God has sustained, has sustained the, the, this, this thread of, of Jesus throughout history, even through deportation. We say deportation sounds so nice. And that's when like Jews are being killed, right? And enslaved and taken out of their land. Why are they taking them out of their land? To destroy the nation. So they have no nation. This is in, in all earnestness the, the, the greatest attempt to, to enslave people and genocide them at the same time. And then they would take their biggest and brightest stars, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel and say, okay, these guys are pretty you know, sharp. We'll... we'll retrain them and send them into our public schools, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And we'll, we'll, we'll indoctrinate them. So we're not going to kill everybody, but we're going to use it. Well, the whole idea, again, is to, to get their minds and their hearts out of the Word of God to where they're not Jewish anymore. So to where all of this nonsense about being kings and having a Messiah and having covenants and relationship with God that can't ever be broken. This is every single attempt that you can possibly make to destroy Israel. And it doesn't work. Who's at play here? There's no, there's no military 
general. There's no political, uh, you know, person that that is that is the one that's carrying the torch of Israel. It's God and God alone. It's it's so beautiful and it's so amazing. And Jeremiah gives us this this really cool picture of it. In Jeremiah 22. This is how Jeremiah. <clears throat> Uh, states it as I live, declares the Lord. Even though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull it off. He say, "Look, even if 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 this king, you think kings are something special, don't you? If the king was a, a signet ring, I'd take it off. I could just take it off." And I'll give you over to the hand of those who are seeking your life. Yes. Yes, I'll give you over into the hand of those who you dread, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I'm in command. And what happens? Jesus takes the ring off, turns them over in the Babylonians. And when he says, look, I'll pull the signet ring off. I'll stop the messianic line right here, right now. Done he does it. You're like, whoa, he can't do that. He wouldn't do that. He promised he wouldn't do that. And then we see in, in, in Haggai, in Haggai 2, 23, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And what do we see? He puts the ring back. What a cool story. What an amazing story of, of, of God's sovereign hand in the life of, of humanity, that he can take it off and he can put it back on, that God chooses. God can, can sustain the messianic line. He can sustain it through different people. And so we get a deeper understanding again of, of who this Jesus is. That he's, he's the, the son of Joseph, just a guy. Just a guy who is in the line, in the line, and who God has sustained just guys. He's sustained just normal people and upheld them and orchestrated and been in command of pulling this together. And in the most amazing things and why I find genealogy so fascinating now. So here we have Matthew and then we have Luke and Luke on the other side of the ledgers. Now we're going to look at Mary and God not only teams up the two sides, they team up and come and flow together. It's like, how did he do that? It's one of the greatest proof texts for the, the validity of the truth of Scripture and, and, and the sovereignty of God that there is, is, is this lineage, is this, these genealogies of all things. Absolutely fascinating. And so through Joseph, we see that he's in line. Remember, they're, they're going to the census in Luke 2. You know, we talk about, oh, you know, they're Mary and Joseph and they're going and they're going to the census. It's like the, the Israelites, they know their family. They know whose family line they're in. They've been doing this for generation after generation. And somewhere, Joseph knows my 
great, 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 granddaddy is David. You don't forget things like that. And so God restores it. God, again, God chose Abraham. God chose Isaac, not the firstborn. God chose Jacob, not the firstborn. God chose David, not the first king, right? God chooses, God adopts. And now what do we see here? We see Joseph adopting Jesus. Joseph adopting Jesus. Why? Because Joseph did not father Jesus in the miracle conception that we see on the Mary side. Absolutely fascinating. This is how Matthew kicks off for, for us being here in awe, in, in wonderment, and think this, this is absolutely incredible, this, this history of redemption. Because that's the point. The point is that we're going somewhere, that Jesus Christ needs to be born. Why? Because he's Jehovah of salvation to seek and save the lost, to seek and save us. And he's the king. The king is going to do this. The king. And so some practical applications for us. Just don't, don't forget his name and title. Don't ever forget his name. Don't, don't just say Jesus Christ. Think it, right? Think about what his name means. Just embedded in his name. His Jehovah saves. Wow. He saves he delivers, he rescues. So that should be a mark of our Christianity, right? To help rescue and save people. Embedded in his name wasn't judge. He does judge, but that wasn't embedded in his name. Um, we see this historical record as remarkable proof, remarkable proof for what? The claim of the crown. It's amazing to me that Jews don't have, that the Israelites today don't, don't have conferences where I always go, well, maybe we got it wrong. Well, who was, who's the Messiah supposed to be? Well, you know what? Let's just, for exercise, let's go back to the beginning and just start tracing. Let's go back to the, the genealogy and start tracing so that we know who the next, and, and in this genealogy as they keep going down and they come across all these different names and all of a sudden in the names they come across this guy named Joseph and Jesus? Wait a minute, he's in the line? Did we miss something here? Um, we see that the Messiah King, the Messiah King is now revealed and we'll see that throughout Matthew. We need to understand that the history of redemption is a thread throughout scripture. This is why we need to know all our scripture. We ripped through some Old Testament passages today, but imagine anchoring in on all the king's names, anchoring in on the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, anchoring in on, on Ezekiel, Haggai, and, and Isaiah. It's very important that we know our scriptures so that we understand the thread and we're so blessed that we have a historical document written from the first person. Do not ever let anybody tell you that this isn't God's word. It's on them to prove otherwise. Because just here in Matthew 1, there's so many different elements of proof. And so we're very, very fortunate that we get to study this book, that we get to um, take our, some time and pouring our lives into, into the book of Matthew so that we will know the way. So that we will know the right way so that we will, like Abraham, follow the way and be faithful. Let's pray.